0: Hello, I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to the Ninety Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this show. Today we're joined by broadcaster and fellow podcaster Edith Bowman. Hello, Edith.
1: Hi Sam. How's it going? I'm alright, you know. Just kinda of trying to fill my days with with as much as I possibly can when I'm not homeschooling. Films are, are a big part of that, both in terms of just for me, but as a family as well. It's been we've watched loads of films.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I guess yeah, it's a good time to to do those the home as well as home schooling, the home film festival.
1: It's been really fun just kind of trying to introduce the kids to sort of certain things. So they watched The Truman Show, which they reacted amazingly to, I have to say. And then we watched the original, the first Men in Black film. Which then meant that we watched every other Men in Black in succession Really enjoyed the latest one I know it got kind of panned But I had fun watching that I think as well when you watch things that are made for an audience With that audience or through the eyes of that audience It's a very different experience Like I remember when I was covering for Caramodo Mayo show And we had to review the, the last Fast and Furious film And I was really sort of dismissive of it And then I went to a late night screening of it with my friend Nathan with like hardcore, like Fast and Furious fans. It was the most brilliant experience ever. And so that's kind of my thing of of what I want to try and do more of when we get back to normal is almost kind of going to the cinema with the fans to watch those films because it's a completely different experience.
0: You mentioned your your radio work, and you are one of the super stand-ins on *Kermode and Mayo*. Ah. How did that come about?
1: The production company that make it uh, something else. I have done. I've worked with like for for years, really. But I absolutely adore doing that show, and it seems to be. You know, I don't get any say in who I, who who I work with on it. it but it seems to fluctuate between Robbie and Clarice. So I love both those. They're so very 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 different but always have just great experiences of doing the show. Robbie and I tend to have the occasion where we'll disagree about things, which is always fun. So I think the last thing that we had a big kind of uh, disagreement about was Jojo Rabbit. I was so surprised, I have to say, because we do tend to have really similar opinions about films, but there's always one film every now and again that really, like, divides us. And I was... It was so weird. I was really disappointed that he didn't like the film. Because I took it really personally, because it's like... What do you mean? I felt like I. I it was so weird because I felt like I had to really def- defend it, and I. I tend to, you know, I'm not there as a as a a film, uh, critic, and I, I. I'm not a film critic. I'm a film fan. That's where I always and how I always come at things. But this was like one of very few times where I felt like I really had to kind of get in there and fight for the film because it was like you just didn't get this at all
0: before doing the. Podcast you do now on Komodo Mayo, people would associate you with music shows and on the radio, maybe talking about music, presenting on Radio One or Six Music, and then sort of Top of the Pops later on. Is it a different, engaging a different part of your brain to you know sort of now be on air sort of talking about movies and and not uh, not music?
1: Not really, to be honest, because I think with both, it's I've never wanted to be a person who who's kind of talking at people about them. I want to have a conversation with people. I want people to feel like, you know, if they turn the radio on or they turn the telly on or whatever, can they feel like they're coming into a room rather than they're just, you know, coming and watching. And the film thing came about really quite naturally in that i was doing the radio show at radio one in the afternoon with colin murray uh, we were doing like the lunchtime show and colin left to go and do specialist at nighttime, and so i assumed that i would be bumped off and you know someone else would stick another double act in whatever but my boss at the time said no we want you to do the show and i was like bloody hell okay um and he's like but we need to find sort of your thing on the show you know, I've been a film fan forever. You know, it's one of my earliest memories is going to the cinema. Where, you know, my and my dad running this little film club on a Saturday morning, and I'd been lucky enough through MTV and all those kind of things I'd done a fair bit of. You know, film discussion and interviews and things like that, and I was like, well, could it be film? Because I feel like you're not really talking about film enough at Radio One. You know, yeah, Moyles will have like Will Smith on the breakfast show and stuff, but you're not really talking about films. You There's not a conversation going on about them. So he was like, absolutely. It's been lovely. It's been so nice to to just have this journey through the world of film and be able to talk about it and be able to talk to people about it. And my little seven-year-old actually was at school and and they were doing about, you know, what your parents do for a living. And they were asked what I did. And he just said, oh, she talks. She talks for a living. And I was like... (laughs) Great, okay. I kind of do, actually.
0: All of the stuff you've been saying about, you know, your passions makes so much sense when you listen to soundtracking, which is, you've been, I didn't, in my brain it's still a new show, but there's almost 200 episodes. Yeah. Do you remember what it was like at the beginning of that journey with soundtracking and, you know, when you started those first few episodes you put out?
1: Yeah, and I remember the journey to getting to that point, you know, as well, because, you know, the show did come out of frustration from wanting a traditional broadcaster to I guess have the commitment and the confidence in me to give me a weekly show to do it it's quite interesting as well now how you know people are absolutely ripping off the idea but never mind that's another discussion for another time but um you know I went to them and said that I could give them a weekly show and they were like well we don't have a weekly slot for you so it was like well what do I do do I just go, do, I, do I just go okay and sit back and do like eight episodes a year, or do I go and try and do it myself? And so and so we went to Disney because I knew that John Favreau was coming into town. And I am a massive John Favreau fan, you know. Not many people speak to directors in these junket environments. You know, more so they are now, but I think sort of three, four years ago, they weren't really no one was really interested in talking to the director unless it was like Tarantino or Christopher Nolan or whatever. And so I sort of said to you know the Disney team, I was like, is there any chance I could get some time with 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 John? And so they said, yes, absolutely. We recorded John, and then he was like our calling card to be honest, because then we knew that, that Jungle Book wasn't coming out for a while, and it's going to be coming out maybe two or three weeks into us launching. But it gave us a bit of kind of leverage to kind of go. So yeah, we're launching this podcast. We we've done John Favreau. Would you come on board? I'm still as excited about it now as I was back when, when we started. Well, it's weird because I spoke to um, to Jed Carzel recently, who works with his brother Justin, obviously on on all of his films, and they'd done that brilliant um, the the Ned Kelly film with George MacKay. And so when I when I was speaking to him, I I had to talk to him about Slow West because the score for the film was brilliant. So it was like, oh, it really got me thinking. When you got in touch about this, I was like, yes.
0: As you know, it comes across in your conversation, you are a huge film fan. When we gave you the homework for this show, I mean, it sounds like you you happened to have that conversation with Jed around the right time. Was Slow West your immediate choice?
1: Well, there was a couple that I looked at just to check the running order. The first one, weirdly, was Stand By Me. So it was it was that, and then I can't remember what it was that sort of threw Slow... You know, it's that weird thing where... Whatever it is that throws something to the forefront of your thought process, it wasn't Fastbender. it was Ben mendelssohn actually it was it was talking about Ben Mendelssohn performances and just how how constant he is in terms of a of a performer. so then when you sort of sent me the request and I was like, "Oh, oh yes, low west and then and then weirdly i I spoke to to Jed after that, and it was like, oh, i want to." I want to talk to you about Slow West. And then it kind of reaffirmed going, yeah, that's the film I want to talk about and remind people about. And also just kind of constantly chip away at John McLean to go, come on, make another film.
0: Starring Michael Fassbender, X-Men Days of Future Past, 12 Years a Slave, and Cody Smith-McPhee, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Slow West follows the story of 16-year-old Jay Cavendish, Smith-McPhee, as he journeys across the American frontier at the end of the 19th century in search of the woman he loves. Along the way, he is joined by Silas, Fassbender, a mysterious traveller with his own agenda, and hotly pursued by an outlaw named Payne, Ben Mendelson. The Dark Knight Rises. There you go. What a film. <laughs> that is the film. Uh, we are going to have a spoiler filled chat as well we should mention that because I think this is a film that that you could spoil. Go and get the DVD or the Blu-ray and I think it's available to stream on places like Amazon Prime.
1: Yeah it's I mean yeah I mean John's kind of you know I was a fan of John from the beta band days you know and he was really hugely involved in the kind of visual side of that band as well and so weirdly i had kind of I'd gone to see the film not knowing that he was the director and then when I watched it and was god I love that film why did I like it so much and there were so many reasons why and I and, and one of them was then kind of you know transpires that it's his it's his vision it's his creativity.
0: Were you watching the film for the first time for work or was it a sort of a cinema trip for pleasure?
1: Yeah it was a cinema trip for pleasure it was actually in East London I went to see I can't remember which cinema it was now it might be in Harkney Picture House actually I went across to to see a friend, and um, we had some dinner. It was like, oh, what are we going to do? And we're like, oh, I really want to see this film, to *The West*. So we went to see it, and then we and it was one of those things where we went for some food afterwards and chatted loads and loads and loads about it, about weirdly about the influences of it and take on a western and was it a western and the whole kind of Scottish connection to it and yeah, so many there's so many conversations that it struck up and the fact that it is such a short film as well It's always a bonus
0: we often hear things like and it was only 84 minutes long
1: when does that happen never
0: so this film had a really good launch it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in Utah uh, where it won uh, one of the jury prizes uh, for best world cinema in drama and then it had a cinematic release over here but even though it's got quite a starry cast we've got Michael Fassbender we've got Ben Mendelsohn Cody Smith mcphee it still felt like it was on the sort of sort of smaller scale under a lot of people's radar yeah definitely Um, and I guess I don't know I guess it's because it's an original script it's that kind of thing like John uh, McLean as well as directing this also wrote it Uh, he's a fantastic writer I think
1: yeah I think that he the way that he writes his characters there's you can tell there's so much content to the backstory that he's given them you know in terms of There's 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 so much within those like every you could pull out every kind of one of those main characters in in that film and they could almost each have a you know a leading role in their own film in a way and I think that that's sign of great writing but then weirdly the film has this beautiful kind of really quite mellow pace about it Mm. because it is so many things for me it's it's so beautifully shot I think it's stunning to watch. I love the mix of kind of the, the, the kind of international characters as well, which I think is quite a unique thing within that environment of a Western. But I think that he's so cleverly written so much within a... There's so much there, even though it's really quite simple, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of sort of plot, it isn't like a... This is a thrilling roller coaster ride of a thing. It's uh it's about the people. It's character. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the film gives the characters a lot of space to to grow, whether it's, you know, through conversations are actually just by showing. I love I love how the film shows the relationship between Jay, who is so naive, so, and, isn't he? And you're so worried for him. Yeah. When when Silas shows up and he's grizzled, he's Michael Fassbender, you know, he's he's got guns and knives strapped to him. You know, he's he's a man who's used to living in this wilderness. And I, I just I love how tense it is when they're just like riding horses together.
1: And it is kind of like, you know, at the heart of it is a love story really as well. That's the kind of, you know, that it's 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 one of these brilliant examples of a film where there are there are lots of different you know, it's a buddy movie, it's a love story, it's a western, it's kind of there are so many threads to it that it's really quite hard to just say it's a Western is kind of like doing it an injustice, really, in, in a way. Um, and that's down to to John's writing in terms of how he makes you really care about these protagonists, antagonists, that you kind of want to know more about them and you're watching their every move, be that on horseback or, uh, you know, be that in conversation or be that in stillness as well. And so much that's written in the script, all those kind of moments that don't involve dialogue as well, I think, are, are as important as the ones that do in terms of... What he's written as a director for direction of those scenes and camera moves and movements of cast as well.
0: What I like is it has always the, it always it keeps surprising you. Yeah, like we've seen westerns. It's one of the oldest sort of cinema genres, and and what I like is that John is still finding new ways to tell a story in the old west, and he often does this by. Playing with your expectations. Like in the, there's an early scene in a shop where Fassbender and, and Cody Smith-Miffy go in there, you know, to to take a rest. And in that shop, so many things happen, but it ends with a hold-up. And then at the end of that hold-up, when they come out, you see that the people who are trying to rob have these two small kids. And that just completely changes how you feel about that scene. It's like a sucker punch.
1: Yeah. And the way that Ben Mendelssohn plays pain as well, you're supposed to be constantly like, terrified and, and really sort of uh, intimidated by him as a character and I think that he gives it a full roundness in that you're almost rooting for him as well, in a way. It's
0: because he's so likeable. Like that (laughs) first scene where it's um, Fassbender and Cody Smith and then Ben Mendelsohn comes in, he's wearing this amazing fur coat. Oh my God, yeah. Um,
1: In that heat.
0: I love that. That's such an impressive entrance. But then he's also carrying a bottle of absinthe and he's sharing it with the guys and, and you get the sense that his character and Silas go way back and... You know they they've got a a tricky relationship, but I I love how and as the audience member we're looking at this through Cody Smith with these eyes like oh this guy seems alright he brought drink he's wearing a nice furry coat
1: yeah yeah he's gonna look after you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene i think it reveals quite a lot about the characters and again it's all writing you know they, they get drunk cody yeah. smithy accidentally goes to the enemy camp and sits down with them <laughs> mm-hmm. and they don't kill him you know it's it, they, they have these amazing conversations whilst playing drunk which I must be quite hard as an actor
1: yeah and that whole thing as well of the, the shared dream mm. you know and that kind of that awakening as well and that that whole thing i think as well kind of reaffirms that connection that they have but then, this character Rose as well, who she's kind of, you know, he has her up there on this pedestal of what she is and what his expectations are of his relationship with her, you know, through his his kind of dreamlike state of 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 what they are to each other. That this is always kind of, and I think John's got that in the back of his head through so much of the film that it keeps kind of creeping in visually as opposed to it being narratively, which I think is really clever.
0: The way they shoot Rose and introduce Rose, it feels dream dreamy anyway. Like Rose is in this this weird sort of small wooden house on this wide open plain. And that just looks like like a fantasy sort of dream image.
1: Yeah, and Katori as well and all that, yeah.
0: And the fact that, that is, that's sort of the goal for the our main characters. It's very easy, I guess, to for the audience to follow. So we can have these great conversations along the way, but we always know where we're going because it's so distinctive. It's that dreamlike little shed <laughs> um with Rory McCann and um and, and Rose in. I think that, that really works to move the plot along. Like you I mean they, they tell this epic story in eighty-four minutes, you know, this is a pacey film which has room for these thoughtful conversations.
1: And the thing is, what I like about John is that in the way he's written this as well, he's not scared to go there with things, you know, and that that kind of happens throughout the whole film and obviously kind of culminates in in crescendos at the end in terms of it's not how you expect it to, like you were saying earlier about how he's constantly surprising you. And I love that he's got that bravery as a filmmaker to not go with the expected and to, to constantly kind of sort of like hoodwink you in a way. Um, and and no more so than the kind of way that it in that ending and in that kind of shootout and oh my god there
0: are there are moments of violence but sort of small moments earlier in the film the uh, Cody Smith McPhee's hand with the arrow uh, made yeah. me made me wince yeah. <laughs> when he puts yeah, his hand yeah, up yeah. to block an arrow and it just goes right through um, and also I thought the the shaving scene with Fassbender where he's shaving Cody Smith McPhee with the world's largest knife. That was just quite a generally scary scene,
1: yeah, because you are kind of like do there's still not a there's still not a full trust there, is there in terms of of oh he could you know he could I think so many kind of experienced directors would have would have would have kind of rushed that as well, whereas I think I love the way that John gave it the time that he did, and I think that that shows so much confidence in him as a director that he knew that it needed that kind of that sort of anticipation there that kept the audience, you know, kind of Oh my god. You know, that sort of the build up slightly of the kind of fear of going, what's he gonna do?
0: Cody Smith is is totally unguarded at that point. There's a lot of trust to let someone you know shave you with a large knife like that yeah and we're still not sure on fassbender he's he absolutely could. he could do it um he's absolutely. kept that uh that note with the bounty in his in his coat pocket for the whole film no he knows how much rose is worth
1: yeah exactly and that, that's the great thing going back to that thing i've seen of the kind of confidence to to not reveal anything uh, but to constantly keep you guessing as well, which is not an easy thing to do, both in terms of how it's written, but also I think in terms of how the performances play out. Because I think it's almost very easy for performances to give things away sometimes, and Fastbender does not at all.
0: No, he's kind of uh, he's a he's a champion, isn't he, at, at that? Yeah. Um, in all of his roles, he's there's a lot going on underneath the surface.
1: Yeah, and I love that connection as well with Jed doing the the music to Justin having made Macbeth with. With them, um, with Michael and Marion Cotillard, which I think is a beautiful uh, version of of that film. But yeah, I'm a massive fan of Fast It's been a while since he's been on screen. He needs to get back on screen, actually.
0: Absolutely, and he's such a great
1: champion of it. He's working with Taika. Amazing! Wow, he's working with Tyker. Next goal, next goal wins. So, did you see the documentary Next Goal Wins about the? I loved that Some... documentary. Yeah. So yeah Tyker's doing the, the kind of feature version of that and Fastbender's in Leiden. I actually asked him about it last time I spoke to him for a work thing and he was like Fastbender man just blows my mind so I'm excited to see that Rose my love Jane my own Once upon a time Jay Cavendish travelled from the cold shoulder of Scotland the baking heart of America to find his love a jackrabbit and a den of wolves
0: this film does build to a crescendo at the end and it's and that's that's when the pacing changes things happen very fast like they would in you know a a sort of a, a scary and violent situation basically everybody Gets to the dreamlike house where Rose is kept, the bounty hunters, Vasspender, Cody Smith McPhee, and and there is a, a like you know a top class uh, classic western shootout there, but
1: it ends in a shed basically.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you f- it feels so flimsy. Like there's yeah. even bits of paper instead of glass in the windows. <laughs> like I think John McClane is It wants to make it clear that whoever is in this house is vulnerable. You know, this isn't a safe house by any means. It's sort of like a it's just a stopgap between wherever they're supposed to be going. So the house doesn't mean safety, and and then you yeah you you see it in you know sort of full force. But what really got me was, I mean I I really I love the character Jay, and I'm I'm rooting for him for the whole film. Yeah. But but there's that final twist where where Rose accidentally shoots him, and it's 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 so interesting as an audience member to go on this journey with a character and for his goal not to be met at the end because we're so taught through cinema that you know people usually get what they want at the Happy end of the movie
1: ending. yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing that I'm always kind of like that still disturbs me slightly about it is it happens so kind of like oh my god you just kind of it's happened is that Silas is then you know Fassbender's character is then basically becomes her partner you know and they it's like was is this what he had planned all the time you know, it's kind of like, I love that even after the film's, you know, it's come to a close, that there's still questions. And so it's, it's, that's a clever, you know, that's like a, not to, to so much of an extent, it's like a Mulholland drive and stuff where there's constantly questions that you, you, you're asking after you've watched it and stuff. But I think that you're still questioning who's, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, what's their intentions, what's their, you know, what are they actually after? And I think that that's the thing for me with Vass Bendersky kind of with how it ends up with Rose and the the kids is like, jeez, was he was he planning this all along? That's good filmmaking for me, and that everything's not tied up in neat bows and not everything's answered and it's still, you know, there, there could be other endings. There could be, you know, that's the thing is like there could be other variations of the story.
0: Absolutely. I just whilst you was talking there, I'm, I'm thinking like maybe silas is the main character he's the one who goes on the journey mm-hmm. he's the one who changes throughout the film mm-hmm. john mclean gives you a few sort of clues as to what's going on in the dream scene with that character but cody smith mcphee is kind of the the thing that we're all putting our attention on but we should be watching fassbender this whole time i need to see this film again
1: yeah it's just distracting you we' actually oh my God I should have been over there ah
0: oh, what a what a pro and and, and you know I, I, this is a, a film that I think warrants rewatches and I'm sure you you must notice more and more things every time you you go back to it
1: yeah and and weirdly a lot of that is a lot of it is is the score as well in terms of there's the very typical western scores that you know we could sight from from film history but I think when a score kind of goes against the expectation it can really make a film like even in the way I think with uh, Tarantino and the hateful eight getting Morricone to do the score for that which I knew to, I know took a lot of persuasion and was very much down to Tarantino's writing and that he was willing to just give him some some you know uh, stuff that he had lying around and Tarantino's like no I actually want you to react to this and then it was took then Maestro uh, went back to him was like actually I want to I want to do it so but the fact that he approached that score almost more like a kind of Hitchcockian kind of dark drama or or even a horror sort of that kind of opening bit in particular is really really clever and I love that that that's what John and jed did with his score and it took a couple of viewings of the film i think to really appreciate that and i think that that's a really important tool in terms of that kind of distracting you from actually what might well be the main story it's very clever
0: absolutely i think you're right the the, the music in this is it feels fresh it feels like it feels really contemporary, even though the film is set in the past. And you you often sort of think, oh, well, I have an old sounding score. <laughs> well, my yeah. brain does anyway. So if I hear sort of different instruments, you know, electronic stuff or modern modern riffs, I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is kind of fresh.
1: Yeah, totally. I think it was great.
0: The score works so well with the landscape as well. Like, I think that's my my defining memory of this film is them going over the open plain, seeing those like mountains yeah they shot this in new zealand it's stunning it's really really stunning and new zealand standing in for america just that sound with that landscape works so well
1: yeah and i think as well though that for you know there's a lot of that kind of wild west sort of landscape as well that could be almost relatable to a lot of Scotland as well, you know, in terms of the kind of highlands and that kind of ruggedness, the clan battles and all that kind of thing that I know John kind of drew a lot of inspiration from. And, and weirdly, New Zealand, I've when I was in New Zealand, the one thing that struck me about New Zealand was how much like Scotland it was. Um, A lot of it, not all of it. and And I think that that's another really good thing that I think... Jed and his brother Justin work brilliantly on together is the kind of how much a character the landscape becomes. You know, you think about that Ned Kelly film that they worked on and, and, oh my God, it's almost like sci-fi, sci-fi-like at times. You know, it's it's extraordinary. And so I think that there's real similarities in terms of filmmakers between Justin and 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 John in terms of how important the landscape is to... To not just to be about oh doesn't it look nice or doesn't it look like this or doesn't it if, you know it, it's it's providing a, a backdrop for something it's it's so much more than that so much more
0: I think for both of those films they're both uh, kind of offbeat riffing on a on a classic genre and and the the landscapes are doing that as well you know like playing with things that we'd expect to see showing us things we haven't seen before
1: absolutely absolutely yeah you're born on a Sunday I don't know. So it's fortunate that you're uh headed north because west that's big trouble. Big storm coming. Easy pain. He's just a kid. No, he's not. He's an outlaw, just like us. Anywho, let's drink to friends, old and new.
0: Do you have a favorite scene in this film?
1: Weirdly, I think the shootout's my favorite. And I do love that it's kind of imperfect, and I think that it's really weird. I was just doing some homework with my kids before we came on. My eleven-year-old was doing some art homework, so they had to look at three different artists who work with foods and things. And one of the artists—I've got her surname now—but she does a lot of the illustrations for like Waitrose food packaging, and stuff. We the one picture that we were looking at was like uh, olive oil and garlic, and and they're 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 really they're they're a bit messy but they're really effective. And for me, that's what that scene is, is that it's not perfect. And But I also think that that really reflects, like you were saying earlier about the fact that this this kind of shed that they're in, it's fragile, it's kind of, it's not, it's not a temporary thing. This is a, you know, and so I think that that almost kind of reaffirms that whole kind of theme and imagery of it as well. And there's so much in that whole, that whole kind of scene of the film uh you know what happens to uh to jay and it's it's so good so good and and the surprise element and the kind of unexpectedness of it and
0: yeah there's a lot happening in you know there's lots of characters there's lots of ground being covered in that small space of time yeah but it's navigated so well you never lose track of who's where um, yeah and, and there's a lot going on and it all happens it's just quick as well like i it's after the pace of the film the, the slow Absolutely. West, this is uh this is like a it's a sprint to the end
1: yeah it's almost like when a dance tune drops the beat it's kind of like you know that kind of build that build that build and then the drop it's almost a bit like
0: that absolutely sort of end of the night here we go
1: yeah totally
0: one of my most striking images from this film we just talked about how violent it gets i also love how domestic it is in places and uh fassbender and cody's movie drying their clothes on those horses it's the most i mean it's a brilliant idea i've never seen that in a western film or any horse related film before they basically make a washing line out of themselves and they ride their horses side by side so they can dry their clothes together
1: well that's the kind of there's there's so many little comedic moments i think throughout the film as well and the tone is something as well that's not easy to get at but i think that that's again down to john's writing and how how well he knows these characters and how but also how much he allows the actors to invest in the characters like i can't imagine anyone else apart from Ben Medicine being pain, you know, and and the same with all of those characters, you know, and that is kind of, I think, testament to those two things, you know, the way Fast Ben has that cigar in the corner of his mouth, and it's just, it's just, it's so, and the the way that Ben has that fur coat on with the hat and, and just, and the braces and that's, it's, it's the whole thing. It's almost like all these departments, be it, you know, the production design, set design, the costume, um, the cinematography, it's its its everybody at the top of their game and wanting the best for this film and ev- the synchronicity of it all, I just think, is what makes this film such a great watch.
0: I totally agree. And I think seeing this on the big screen at our 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival is going to be such a ride for people who maybe missed it first time around.
1: Absolutely. And you'll, you'll want to go back and please do go back and watch it a, a two or three times as well because... There'll be things that just kind of reveal themselves to you the more that you invest in this film and the story and these characters, even of a film this length. It doesn't need to be a Nolan or a Scorsese film to be able to do that, to have layers to it. So
0: there we have it. Slow West is in the 90 minutes or less film festival. I can give you a cinema, I can give you a print of the film, but uh, I've also given you basically a blank check to decorate the movie theatre. How would you want to present uh, Slow West in in inio? like a physical space like that?
1: I feel like it's got to be an outdoor screening. So I feel like it's got to be a, a kind not a secret cinema thing. That's kind of almost like too much, but I almost feel like it needs to be like a Slow West festival. So you have the beta band, Reforming, who play before the film comes on and you have Michael Fassbender and Ben Mendelssohn running the barbecue whilst the film, well, not whilst the film's on, but after the film for the after show party. And there's a proper kind of like, uh, you know, straw on the floor, kind of uh, cross between a Kaylee and a sort of line dance going on after the film.
0: Well, that sounds incredible. A very warm and communal sort of thing but totally you know along the same the same vibe as the movie
1: well i think that you have to it's that thing i don't want any distractions while the film's on but prior to it we got the beta band kind of just getting everybody in a really good sort of state of mind them reforming would be amazing and then kind of after the film it's like you know proper like big old sort of hootenanny type vibes with you know ben and Fastbender on the barbecue and uh and, yeah, everybody having a bit of a dance and cigars in their mouth and <laughs> swigging beer and, yeah, totally. So that's,
0: that's huge. You could live, live the, uh, the, some of the, the nicer bits of Slow West after.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. We like to have a conversation on stage at this festival. We like to do uh, maybe a Q&A, but we can only have one member of, uh, you know, some, one person involved in the film on stage. If you could choose who you could interview after the movie, who would you, who would you pick? Oh, that's a
1: tricky one ben Mendelssohn, i reckon just to find out how hot he was in that fur coat
0: (laughs) it's the question that will be on everybody's lips after seeing the movie that'd be interesting he's such a great actor and and i don't i don't see him do a lot of like you know long form kind of talk shows or interviews Mm. so yeah to get under the skin of ben Mendelssohn would be amazing
1: yeah yeah be so good he's so clever
0: yeah, there's a lot. I think he's one of those actors. There's a lot going on underneath the surface.
1: He's extraordinary, and also like if you think about like Star Up with Jack O'Connor and stuff, and he's also very funny in um, Captain Marvel, wasn't he as well? I love. Rogue I mean, that's one. the thing I yeah. love. He
0: can do a big studio blockbuster like Rogue One or Captain Marvel, and then he can do. He's in this amazing new film called Baby Teeth Soon, where he's like, he's just playing. He's playing like a. A, a dad, um, but he's it's such a rich performance with him and Essie Davis. Like I, I I'd never get bored of watching him. Yeah. And Edith. Yes. Do you think this film could or should be longer than ninety minutes?
1: No. Because I think as well it does leave you wanting more, but I think that the more is going back to watch it again and it's lovely to be reminded of it and hurry up and make another film john mclean
0: so we need to start a petition or something yeah someone give that man some money just start like
1: constantly like just constantly putting on social media when's john mclean gonna release a new film and i know it's not the best time to be asking that because people are obviously not able to be making films at the minute but you know at least you can get the script finished
0: thank you so much for bringing slow west to our 90 minutes or less film festival
1: my pleasure thanks for asking
0: where can people find out what you're up to on uh, online and where can they listen to soundtracking
1: i'm on socials i'm at ed bow on most things and then the website is edithbowman.com and all the podcast episodes are up there as we fast approach 200 and hopefully we can do 200 more
0: thank you for listening subscribe to the show on your podcatcher of choice and leave us a review on apple podcasts as an independent podcast it really helps we're also available on 90minfilmfest.com that's 90minfilmfest.com you can contact us there or on twitter and instagram at 90minfilmfest the show was produced by louise owen and me sam clements the show is edited by louise owen with sound mixing and additional editing by luke smith our music is by martin ostwick and our artwork is by sam gilby we are a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.